Uh, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. I, I just, I'm going to give you kind of a testimony message tonight, something that I trust will be a blessing and help you in your Christian walk. A testimony message. We've covered in the last few weeks, you know, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. Too many just give the sacrifice of fools. They come with no intention of listening. They're there and they think somehow they're going to get points for being there, but then they don't get anything that is said from the word of God to apply to their life. Uh, They've got a lot to say about it themselves, but that's part of the sacrifice of fools. And we dealt with the church being the church of the living God and that he's written these things so we'll know how to behave ourselves in the house of God. Uh, And uh, that's what I want to talk tonight about family and the church and what the church has meant to my family, not being brought up in church at all. Uh, We didn't have anything to do with God. Uh, my, my wife, I guess when she was a kid, went to church a few times, but uh, didn't get anything during that time that she went, really. And uh, so she wasn't brought up in a Christian home of any kind. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home of any kind. Uh, and But the church has come to mean an awful lot to us since we got saved. And I've confessed this many times in the past, that I do have a short fuse. I don't have a lot of patience with People brought up in church hearing the preaching of the word of God and they don't know how to get anything out of the message. I just, I don't have a patience for that. Uh, my, if I could go back and change anything in my life, the first thing I would change, I would come to know Jesus sooner. Then maybe my teen years would have counted something for God. If I'd have known him sooner. But there are an awful lot of Christian young people that waste their teen years. They don't count. Uh, And and the reality is, by what they show with that kind of a lifestyle, they don't recognize or understand the fact that if they were on the mount where Jesus was at when the little boy gave his five loaves and two fishes, if they'd been there, they'd have wondered why he was doing that, why that little boy gave that stuff away. Because they don't get anything about what it's about. They just, they haven't caught it yet. Well, notice in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Remember in Joshua 24 and verse 15, but if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods that your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land he dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if that's going to happen in New Testament times, if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to have to understand some things about the local church. First of all, the very word church is a word in the Hebrew is ecclesia, and it literally means a called out assembly. People say, well, I I don't think the church is that important. You're an idiot. You read your Bible. You can see how important it is. Because it is the bride of Christ. It is the body of Christ. It is the pillar and ground of the uh, truth. And the scripture says, husbands of your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
the church. He tells us in chapter 20 and verse 28 of the book of Acts that he purchased the church with his own blood. Now, you just look at what the scripture tells us about the church. There's no way you can come to a conclusion that it's not important. Now, since we didn't go to church for the first 21 years of our life, and then when we did go, we only went so I could play softball with the church team. After getting saved, it changed my life completely. Now, we got, we got married young. I was 18. My wife was 19. Of course, we were lost. But I can still remember thinking back then, you know, hey, I'm 18. If we're married for 50 years, I'll only be 68 when, I, when we celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. I thought, well, that's kind of cool right there. Of course, now that's passed. It's not so cool anymore, but nevertheless. <laughs> because now we've already celebrated our 55th, and we're going to be hitting the 60th before too long. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, it's coming up. But somebody asked me when we reached the 50th, they said, what's the secret to being married for 50 years? And my first answer, I think, is just common sense, and that is you have to stay alive 50 years after you got married. Isn't that right? If you're going to be married 50 years, just the way it has to be. I think another help is you have to memorize those magic words, yes, dear. That will help you to stay married for 50 years. Yes, dear. Okay. At least that's what Wally tells me. So I'm, I'm it works. You can be happy or right. One of the two, make up your mind. Now, we got married. Uh, the things that I preach to people today about getting married, the things that are to be important, uh, the things that you should do, we didn't do any of those things. I mean, we didn't seek the right one. We were actually, our idea of getting married was more like what Samson's was. You know, um, he saw the woman at Timnath and he said to his mom and dad, get her for me. She pleaseth me well which is a silly reason to get married to somebody. And if you're a Christian, it's a really spiritually ignorant reason to get married to one another. But we were lost. We did not know any better at all. We didn't pray. We weren't seeking God's face for God's will, had no uh, thought of God's will or even any desire to do God's will because we didn't know God. And all the things that we tell others that they should do in in their relationship with one another before they get married. We didn't do it. We were lost. I don't talk about our date life. We were lost. My date life is not an example of a Christian's date life. We were lost. Now, for the saved, we've got a book that gives us the truth. And, hey, if you want things to be right, then start right by getting in God's word and finding out what you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to uh, protect one another in this matter of getting ready for marriage. Uh, I remember that when the fellow who asked me to play softball with the church team, he was a member of First Baptist Church of Otsego, Michigan. And it's those sweet people, dear people, that had an awful lot, lot to do with bringing me to the place where I was willing to hear the gospel and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, although this young man was brought up in church, he was like a lot of young men that I pastored. He didn't know God. Now, everybody thought he did. He was kind of the darling of the church. And in a little booklet that I read a while back, 
about his own testimony, he admits that back then he was not saved. I mean, the reality is we did a number of things together and uh, me and him and another one of the guys there at the church. Uh, but things that some of the things that they did, I didn't do as a lost person. As a lost person, I thought it was sick and thought it was wrong. And I, I, I just didn't have anything to do with it. He married a sweet gal in the church. And uh, when we were at the, I'm trying to think if it was the reception of the wet, at the wedding or might have been at the rehearsal meal, I'm not sure. But we had uh, a couple, the lady that played the organ and her husband, they were, uh, their last name was Rockefeller. Now it wasn't Rockefeller, it was Rockefeller, that was their name. And she looked over at my wife and I, seated at one of the tables just next to her, and she leaned over to her husband, and she said, you know, it's really sad. That couple probably won't even be married a year from now, speaking about my wife and I. Now, they didn't say that to us, but that's what they thought. I mean, hey, my mom was married four times. My dad was married twice, and he had divorce papers on his desk at his house when he died to divorce the one he was married to at that time. Now, that's the kind of family that we came from. But the thing is, after that lady said that, within the year, my wife and I both got saved. And that darling of the church that was getting married at that time, he and his wife were divorced. The truth is, you don't really know. I would say if you would have been doing percentages, yeah, she, was, she would have been right probably. If we hadn't got born again, it's probably the way it would have ended up. Uh, here I was, a rock and roll disc jockey, then a country western disc jockey. And that was the world that I was in. And the people that would come by the station and just different things. I, I, did, the, I did the shows with some of the top rock groups and then country groups. Uh, I remember we had, a, we had a couple of guys that were up there. Some of you may remember the name Johnny Carver. He did tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. Now, I know it was Tony Orlando who did it in the rock world, but Johnny Carver did it in the country world, and it made number one on the country charts. And I did a show with him and a fellow by the name of Blake Emmons. Now, now Blake was a real good performer. He didn't have any big hits anywhere, but he was, he was a performer. He was a funny guy. He was a good singer, all of that. And the, the promoter told me, now, when Blake gets done, if the people were, are really excited about it, he said, bring him back out there. Well, I had been back with them before the show, back in the locker room of the gymnasium in Pawpaw, Michigan. And um, he and Johnny Carver were talking. Man, the foulest things came out of their mouth. I, even though I had a foul mouth before I got saved, I didn't talk like that. It was just foul. So when I went out, introduced Blake, he came out. He did a great show, as, as shows go. And he leaves the stage. People are clapping. They're excited. They're giving, giving him a standing ovation. And I said, would you like to have him come back out here? Blake, come back out here. And he went out, came out, told a joke or two. People were laughing. They were having a good time. And then he sang, how great thou art. I wanted to throw up. What a phony. Now, if, if you think that Elvis singing crying in the chapel meant that he was a saved man, you are deceiving yourself. 
Lost people can sing those spiritual songs really good, and you don't know where they're at. Now, as a husband, I was one of those guys, I was, I was verbally demeaning to my wife. She was the punchline of my jokes. I remember being rebuked by one, by one Christian lady, and she told me the truth now. She just laid it out before me. That's the way I was before I got saved. Now, some of you have got far worse horror stories than that, I know. And you think, well, preacher, that's nothing. Let me tell you. No, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Uh, Believe me. But we got saved and God changed us. And we got in church right away. Now, I got saved at the radio station. I didn't join the radio station. I joined the church. Because the church is what God has provided for believers And if you read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, he tells us why he provided the church for believers, why we absolutely need it. And for the last almost 50 years now, I have been a pastor of different local churches, and I take that very seriously. I take each part of what God calls me to do as a pastor in protecting the church from false doctrine. And trying to have a church program so that God's people can be involved and can serve the Lord and be used of God. I take that very seriously. It is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. Now, yes, I'd like people to like me. But even if you don't like me, I'm still responsible as your pastor to, number one, protect you as much as possible from false doctrine. I'm responsible to do that. Now, if you don't listen to the word when I give it, that's between you and God. You'll answer to that. But I'll tell you what, when I stand before God and give an account for those that I preach to, I want to be able to say, I told them, Lord. I told them. I told them. I want my hands to be clean in this matter. But there are a number of things that I learned in church. Now, we got saved in 1971 right at the end of the year. I got saved in November. My wife got saved in um, my, my wife got saved in December. I know that because it was on the first Sunday in that December that I came forward and make public my salvation. And then that next week, the pastor came out to the house, won my wife to the Lord, and uh, we just began growing in the Lord. And that was all exciting. We got baptized in '72, uh, became church members in '72, and we just never turned back. As a matter of fact, in January 1972, we'd only been saved for a couple months. Uh, We had Kathy as our first child. And she was born on Thursday. She was in church on Sunday. I just believe in starting out right. And so we had her there in church on Sunday. Believed in being faithful to the Lord in the church service. So let, let me tell you some things that I learned are things that the church has been to me that's been a great help. Number one, in church, and these are not in order of importance. I simply wrote these things down, putting them in different order. doesn't matter. They're all important to me. In church, we learned about family devotions. And it was simple. We were new Christians. We, We didn't know a whole lot. Your family devotions don't have to be a long theological treatise. They're devotions. And we would meet together when we only had Kathy. She was, of course, very, very little. And uh, we bought her a little 
a little book that had individual verses in it. That was her Bible. She couldn't read it. But that was her Bible. And when we read the Bible together, that would be her mom and I reading it together with her right there. She would have her little book open, even though she didn't know what was being said. And what we would do on sometimes is we would take a verse and I would say a couple of words and then she would simply repeat what I said. And then I'd say a few more words from that verse and she'd repeat it. We go through it like that. Listen. If you include the word of God, include singing praises to God with the right kind of music, and, uh, and you include prayer, there's nothing in the Bible that says you've got to go 35 minutes. Nothing in the Bible says you've got to go an hour. If you go 10 minutes, that, who's, who's to say that's wrong? The Bible doesn't say it's wrong. Some people get put on such a guilt trip, and I believe you ought to do it, but you don't have to do it like the family next to you or the family that, that's been saved for 30 years. You don't have to do it like that. And so what we would do is we would get together, we'd read the scripture. For a while, I used, uh, back then, I used our daily bread. Now, later on, we got some other uh, devotional books that I think were a little bit better. And I'd read the scripture out of that and simply read what that little article said about it. It didn't take very long. And then we would sing. And as Carrie of, or Kathy would learn some of the songs, uh, she would pick a song she'd like to sing, and we'd all sing that song. And if it was a song that had the motions, we did all the motions. And then my wife would pick a song, I'd pick a song, and we'd all sing it. And then we, we memorized verses. Matter of fact, uh, for both of my daughters, by the time they were three years of age, they could quote over 100 Bible verses. And we learned all of those verses in our devotions. We just simply would say the address of the verse, and then we'd say the verse, and then say the address again. And I've got news for you. Kids that cannot read can memorize that way. And they do. Both of our daughters happened to get saved when they were four and a half. I believe the reason for that was because we had put the word of God in their heart. Bible says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. But how would I have even known to do that? Well, the pastor preached on it. See, I learned that. I learned that in church. And it helped us. And then we would all pray. Uh, we taught our daughters to pray in family devotions. We would all pray together. We'd pray for church people. We'd pray for our family. Uh, our daughters heard mom and dad both pray for them. Now, I don't know how much they remember of that from way back then now, but I'll tell you, I believe it still has an impact. Our children need to hear us pray. They need to hear us pray for other people. They need to hear us pray for them. All that was part of just family devotions. And I'd say back then, our family devotions probably only lasted 10 minutes. I'm sure it didn't last that long. Uh, I don't know if Carrie remembers. I know that Kathy does. But we would even do things like when we had a Bible story, like uh, knocking down the walls of Jericho. What I did was I, I took a, a big piece of cardboard, put it on the floor, and then I made a fort out of books. And we marched around... We called it Jericho. We marched around Jericho, and then we blew our trumpets. And then what I did was I, I kicked the cardboard that the books were on, 
And then, of course, the books all fell down, and, and we stormed Jericho. We won it. Now, hey, yeah, we won. <laughs> it's simple, but I'll tell you what, they remember it. Family devotions. We learned that in church. Secondly, in church, I learned about disciplining children. Didn't know how. Man, I was not being brought up in a Christian home. We sure didn't go through discipline in a biblical manner whatsoever. Now, my dad, uh, he definitely believed, um, he believed in using the belt on us. And, um, but, but here's the thing. We learned about discipline, how to discipline them. First of all, you never discipline when you're angry. You cool off first. What kids get abused when dad's angry or mom's angry and it's just simply swinging whatever they've got in their hand. That's a terrible thing. But we learned that discipline in order to work has to be done as soon as possible after they've been caught doing wrong because, as the scripture says, sentence against an evil work. Uh, oh, let's see. Uh, if it's not executed speedily, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. So I believe in chastening children right after they disobey the first time. Because the first time, you're not wanting to do it. You're not angry. And so you're, you're in a position where you can discipline correctly thinking right. If you wait till you're angry. Besides that, parents who say stuff like, now, now I want you to stop doing that right now. And then when the child doesn't stop... And they say, I told you, stop doing that. Now, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to take my belt off. Now, see, I'm taking my belt off. And all that, all that parent is doing is teaching their child they're a liar. They don't mean what they say. When you teach your children that they're going to be disciplined the first time they disobey, then when you tell them, that's it. They'll Stop. By the way, whenever we gave whippings, I'm not going to go through how we, how we whipped our children. But when we gave the whippings, I always said, now, if you want me to stop whipping, you stop crying. <laughs> they can turn it off. They can turn it off. They can turn it off like that. Of course, one day, Carrie got, or Kathy got the idea that, hey, if I just don't cry at all, maybe he won't whip so long. And man, I'd give her, you know, four or five good licks. And, and she hadn't cried yet. And I thought, what on earth is going on? My magic powers are gone. I, I, and then I got it. And I said, if you don't start crying, we're going to be doing this all night. <laughs> and then what I said, if you want me to stop, stop crying. She stopped crying. Kids, kids can do that. This doesn't have to be a hard thing. If you do, but see, I learned how to discipline children at church. In church. These things were covered. We need to hear those things. Not only that, in church, our daughters got saved. Kathy got saved in junior church, May the 16th, 1976. And that was at Pinewood Baptist Church in Chattanooga. And Carrie got saved, and I can't remember the date, but she got saved on a Wednesday night. Tugged on her mama's skirt and said, I, I want to be saved. And mama led her to Christ at church. 
Church means an awful lot to me. That's extremely important. From the time we knew we were going to have children, we prayed for them and prayed they'd go to heaven when they died, prayed that they'd be saved. That's a church they got saved. That's wonderful. Not only that, in church, I learned about loving my wife. At church. I mean, let's face it. We grew up without God. We grew up without church. So all we knew about quote-unquote love was what Hollywood told us. We didn't know. When I got saved, of course, now I've got a different outlook on things. But at church, I found out how to love my wife. Now, as I told you, uh, she used to be the punchline of my jokes. I mean, I was cruel like that. I learned about honoring my wife, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, so that my prayers be not hindered. I learned about loving her in that as far as anybody else is concerned, I married the greatest woman in the world. Nobody should hear anything bad about my wife from me. Now, that would include my parents. That would include people I work with. And by the way, definitely never, ever should people of the opposite sex at work ever hear anything bad about your mate. That goes for men and women both. My father-in-law, who was, was not a saved man back then, uh, we tr- hope that he trusted Christ as Savior before he went out into eternity, but he helped our marriage tremendously. When we got married, he told Jan, he said, uh, now when you and Mike have a fight, and understand how we use the term fight, not this, I've never hit my wife on purpose. <laughs> And I'm sticking with that story. (laughs) (laughs) He said, "When when you and Mike have a fight, don't call me. He's right. So sure enough, we came up where we had one of those family, one of those husband and wife disagreements. And she called her dad. And her dad said, I don't want to hear it. Mike's right. And hung up. He saved a lot of trouble in our marriage. You know that? Because he had some wisdom. I'll tell you what happens. People get upset with one another. They call mama. They cry to mama. Now mama's mad. And then the couple make up, but mama's still mad. And mama can't understand why the, uh, uh, the, the woman can't understand why her mother doesn't like her husband. Because you opened your big fat mouth. That's why. You should have kept it shut. As far as they should be concerned, you married the best person in the world. It's important you get that. I say, I didn't know any of that stuff before I got saved. And then God in church, I learned about loving my wife. In church, I learned a lot about faithfulness to the Lord. It does matter. I believe every service matters. This is is really important. It does matter whether whether or not I'm there. Now, I, I was a bowler growing up. I love bowling. I was, uh, I mean, I haven't bowled in years now, but I love bowling. I had a 196 average when I uh, bowled at Playmore Lane in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I learned something about faithfulness, actually, at the bowling alley. Because, you know, when you bowled on a team, at least back then, I don't know what it's like today, if you didn't show up, you still had to pay for your bowling. If you bowled in the league. 
And as far as the team was concerned, if you can't show up because you're sick or something else, you better have a substitute there to bowl in your place. Or they'll kick you off the team. It's amazing to me, people have a job at church. I don't care if it's ushering, working in the nursery, working in Sunday school or whatever. And uh, they'll go on a trip and never get somebody to replace them and not tell anybody they're not there. That is so sorry as the devil. The Bible says more was required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful. You've got a job, you ought to be faithful at it. And if you can't be there, you ought to make sure that somebody's covering what you've obligated yourself to do. That's just as sorry as the devil. It shows so little respect for God, so little respect for Jesus. Hey, I I believe if I can be faithful to a bowling team, I can sure be faithful to the living God of heaven. Just a matter of being there, fulfilling the obligations that I've made. But I learned a lot about it. Church is the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. We learn to be faithful to church. We learn to be faithful on the Lord's day. You realize Sunday is the Lord's day. Sunday is not the Sabbath. Sunday is the Lord's day. It's the first day of the week. It is his day. And so we give it to him. Back when uh, I started the Spanish ministry and started picking up people on Sunday afternoon, uh, we were having two services at that time over in the other building. And so we had the first service. I'd preach that. Then a Sunday school lesson class And I preached that, or spoke that, taught it, whatever I did. And then we had the 1045 service, and I preached that. And then when that service was over, I got in the van, and we drove over to Tanner, where we picked up about uh, 10 to to 15 Mexicans that were over there. There weren't near as many Spanish in the area at that time. And brought them over for a service. Then I taught that, and then we put them back in the van. I drove them back and dropped them off, and then got back here where I could get my brain together for the Sunday evening service and then do that. And I had, somebody said to me one time, they said, how in the world can you do that? I said, it's the Lord's day. On the Lord's day, you just do whatever you do. It's his day. It's not my day. It's his day. Learn that in church. And by the way, it's important regardless of the number. Doesn't make. I can preach to one. Ask Mark Moore. I can preach to one. Because when I started the Sunday morning, sir, or the, I'm sorry, the Wednesday morning service, and uh, we had six to start out. Five of them went back to first shift. Mark was the only one that didn't get transferred back to first shift from second shift. And so there were a lot of Wednesday mornings when he was the only one sitting in the pew, and he got the whole load. I've I've told the preacher boys, if you can't preach to just one, you've got no business preaching to a thousand. You take this matter seriously. How did I learn that? Learn that in church where the word of God was preached. In church, we served. In church, we served in Sunday school. In church, we served in choir. Church, well, we served in junior church. We served in visitation. We served in bus ministry. I'm talking about a First Baptist in Otsego, Michigan, where we got saved. Uh, we served. How does so much get done at Madison Baptist Church? We got a lot of people that serve. They don't just come and sit. They come to serve. And, and, and really, if there's anything that we're not doing that we should be doing as a church, is because we've got some people who should be filling in those gaps. 
to fill in the gaps. The church is only going to be what its members are. And if they don't know how to serve, then the church is in trouble. In church, I learned the authority of the scripture. That this is God's book. Now, why have we taken 11 weeks, and it'll be 12 this Sunday, to learn about our King James Bible? Why did I ask Brother Snyder to do that? Well, so the church will understand. This isn't, it doesn't matter what translation you have. It matters greatly what translation you have. Now, if you've not been here, you've not learned any of that. But we had this, and by the way, everybody in church in the eyes of God is going to be responsible for what he's presented. I mean, it's on me. I'm the one that had him do it, and boy, they have been excellent lessons. So that when these liberals and when these Bible deniers come around and say, well, it just makes it easier to read, it doesn't change any doctrine, I can stand up and say, you're a liar. You don't know what you're talking about because it does change doctrine. All of those change doctrine for a number of different reasons. And I can give them reasons why I know that to be so. I don't swallow their garbage because, you see, in church, I learned about the Bible. How'd the devil start out, by the way? What's, what's the first thing that he did after creation? He said, yea, hath God said? What's the second thing he did? You'll not surely die. First he doubted it, then he denied it. That's what the devil does. You see, we have a more sure word of prophecy. This is not a maybe-so book. This is a no-so book. I learned that in church. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. In church, we learned about being examples. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Being faithful, consistent. I've had the privilege In the 52 years that I've been saved, I've had the privilege of knowing some of the dearest, most faithful Christians that I I never would have known existed if I hadn't been in church. Just tremendous people who just love God, who are willing to sacrifice. You know one of the reasons why we have 27 missionary families on the field? Because we've got some people who regularly sacrifice a great deal for them. Without their sacrifice... We couldn't have 27 missionary families out of our church. Wouldn't happen. We've got a lot of people that sacrifice in a lot of different areas. Praise God for them. Faithful, consistent, no matter where, no matter when. In church, we learned about tithing and finances. Matter of fact, that was the beginning of the help for our finances when I learned about tithing. I used to think that, uh, well, I'd start out when I first started going to church, I gave my $1 admission fee. That's what I call it now, is $1 admission fee. And then when I got saved, I started giving $5 a week. Woohoo! Five times as, but I was still at that time robbing God of $25 a week. And I remember, still remember the Sunday when God dealt with my heart. We had just moved into a home that we had built. By the way, we only ended up having that home for about five months. And, you know, it might have been that tithing thing that stood between me and being called to preach because once I did that, we just started growing. And within a few months, God called me to preach. But one Sunday, my pastor was preaching. He hardly ever preached on giving. I mean, he hardly ever mentioned it. But uh, 
one Sunday he was preaching and he quoted from Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And he may not have been preaching on tithing, but the Holy Spirit of God was to my heart. And that went over and over. I went home that afternoon. That's all I could hear in my head. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so finally, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I sat down with a piece of paper. Here we were still paying on the mobile home that we had that we hadn't gotten rid of yet and the lot rent for that. And we were paying, uh, we were paying for the house that we had just had, had built. It was a three-bedroom rancher, full basement, two-car garage. And we paid $25,000 for that brand-new house. But that was 1973. And the price was a lot different back then. But... I sat down and first I took how much we made, took 10% off the top, that's the tithe, it's off the gross always, and I mean, it's, he gets from the first fruits. And so I took 10% out, then I took what the government takes out, and then I figured my bills and put those down, and then I, I figured in uh, groceries, and I figured in utilities, and got all that done. There wasn't anything left, but I told my wife that afternoon, I said, we can do this. Today we start tithing. And so that night we gave our first tithe. And we've done that all along. And as you can tell, I've not starved. You can tell there's a third of me my wife didn't marry. That's how much God has blessed her. <laughs> Made me bigger. How about that? That's wonderful. Well, but I learned how to tithe in church. Matter of fact, I personally feel like this. Since the tithe is the Lord's, you're really not giving until you give above a tithe. Because that tithe is already his. So if I'm going to give to the Lord something that's mine, then I give an offering out of what's over that. Well, in church, we learned about exhorting one another. In church, we learned about influence. Not just being examples, but by doing right, we can influence others to do right as well. I said the other day about my daughters, one of the things that we always prayed was that godly women in the church would take an interest in them and love them and be a godly example. I, I prayed that God would keep the gossips away from them. Are those that were bitter, never rejoicing? I asked the Lord, please put godly women who love God who serve God, praise God, so that when they would be tempted to do wrong, that they would think about, let's, let me just take Lucy Wooten. By the way, she was here this morning. How about that? Miss Lucy was here this morning. It's powerful. And uh, somebody like Miss Lucy, so they would think, you know, if I did that and Miss Lucy found out, I'd be embarrassed to face her. I'm not going to do wrong. That's why I wanted them to have godly women for examples. You families, you got boys, you ought to want them to look up to godly men in the church. Because sometimes children do get a little upset with their parents. And when they get upset, there's a temptation to do wrong. It's good to have some other people in the church that they look up to as well. Listen, as many roadblocks as you can put in the way between them and sin, it's a wise thing to do. In church, we learned about missions. As a matter of fact... I got called to preach because a missionary to Brazil by the name of Charles Hocking was preaching on the last Sunday of January 1974. 
When he got done preaching, I recognized God's call in my life in that service. I went forward. Missionaries. I found out they were people. I thought they were, I don't, know, I don't know what I thought they were. I don't know what most church members think they are. You see, we're blessed here because we've got 27 families out of our church. We knew them when they were just people. And it doesn't shock us that they're still just people. But they're just people who've surrendered to serve God in a particular field of service. Which, by the way, according to Romans chapter 12 is just reasonable. I got, we got exposed to missions by going on missions trips at church. We'd go on mission trips. I know Madison Baptist Church has not only had these big missions conferences, but, man, we went through a long period in the 1990s and through, I think, about 2010, 2012, where we were going on at least one mission trip every year and sometimes more. We took teens on mission trips. Uh, you know, there's no secret as to why we have so many missionaries out of our church. We expose people to the field, to real missions. In church, we fell in love with the biblical Jesus. In church. Not some soapy person's idea of Jesus. But we fell in love with the Jesus of this book. So he says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As I said at the beginning, this is, a, this is a testimony message tonight. The church has been so absolutely vital in our lives. I, I've had a couple of Sundays in the 34 years that I've been here where I couldn't be in church because of health. I remember back in 20, uh, let's say, was it 2021, 2020, when I missed part of the super conference because I was in the hospital. I felt dirty being in the hospital. I wasn't in church. I, I just want to be in church. We go on vacation, man. We're in church. And sometimes you go on vacation and you're in some churches that, man, you wonder, did the preacher even really prepare anything? I mean, he's not giving them anything. What, what is, what's wrong with him? But at least I'm in church. And I think it's good to go even when you don't get anything. I think it shows the Lord that you want to be faithful to him. It's a matter of character. And in church, I learned something about character. Now, I've also met some characters. But I learned something about character. By the way, you'll meet some characters in every walk of life, in every area. Have I met hypocrites at church? Sure I have. But I've also met them at Walmart. I've also met them in city parades. I met them at the bowling alley. I've met hypocrites everywhere. I'm sure not going to let hypocrites keep me from being faithful to the church. Today we've got live stream. Well, thank the Lord when you're sick and can't make it. But it's not church. The assembly is God's people meeting together, assembling. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, please challenge our hearts today. It'd be good for all of our people to just get alone with you and to think about the church and what we should be in the church. 
what you say, what you have for us in the church to learn. There's so many scriptures dealing with that. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 18 is a, a vital passage dealing with that. But there are so many others as well. Dear God, please, may we treat the body of Christ as you would have us treat the body of Christ. And Father, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray.